Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're turning to 2 Timothy 3, focusing on 6 through 9, but I'm going to read from verse 1. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men... Also oppose the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus's and Jambres' folly was also. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would give us humble hearts, teachable hearts as we come to this, your word, and that you would, you would work in us by the word, that the Spirit would apply this to us, and we would not just be those who hear your word, but that we would be doers of your word. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me just say a few things about basic training uh, that, that Michael mentioned before the service. If you weren't at Triple B, you didn't hear the announcement. A few men weren't there. Triple uh, B was a program that I went through, or, or not Triple B, basic training was a program that I went through up in Toledo. Um, Elliot's been through it too um, in, uh, in the last, what was it, five or six years ago. And uh, it's, it's, so if you want to find out from him what, it's, what it is, uh, ask him. But it, it is training in masculinity, training in manhood, more or less, uh, training in responsibility. And so uh, it was very helpful to me uh, when I was fresh out of seminary to go in, uh, go through that. It was uh, taught at the church that I served at formerly up in Toledo, Christ the Word PCA. And so um, Bob Forney is the main teacher. Bob Forney works in the coroner's office in Lucas County, Ohio. So he sees every dead child, every, uh, you know, every murder every suicide that happens in that county. And it makes his, it, he wears his heart on his sleeve um, because he's always coping with death, right? And so he, he, he always teaches with a, a great amount of uh, intensity and passion because of his work. But I, I encourage all the men here to attend that. It's going to take a serious commitment. It's going to be a weekly meeting. It's going to be here. We're trying to figure out the time but it will be profitable for you. So 
Uh, talk to me after the service if you want to officially be a part of that. Now we turn to Second uh, Timothy chapter three, and it's the temptation of every pastor when you come to a passage like this is to tell a joke to break the tension because it's so intense, right? I mean that list is just like it's like you're you're in the ring with a boxer and you can't lift your arms and he's just hitting you in the head, headshot after headshot, and then. We get to 6 through 9, and it's uncomfortable because it, it, it mentions weak women, right? And so the, any mention today of weak women and everybody's hackles are raised. Um, but I won't make any jokes. This is the inspired word of God. It's eternally true. It's what God would have us obey and think upon today. So... Um, receive the word preached in humility. So remember that we're in the middle of a section of the Apostle Paul's letter to Pastor Timothy dealing um, with false teachers. Remember that he's, he's trying to deal with false teachers. In verses 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul goes through that long list of characteristics. And that's characteristics, those are sins being committed by these false teachers. After concluding the list, he writes, avoid such men as these. It's right, you remember me saying, it's right to avoid the ungodly, especially the ungodly who attempt to mislead the sheep from within the church. Uh, we, we, should, we should seek to avoid ones like that. Avoid them. Don't align with them, right? Um, from there, we pick up in verse 6, and it continues the thought from verse 5. It begins with for, and, and wherever you read for, you can substitute because. That, so it's connecting it to what precedes. Avoid such men as these because among them are those who enter, or better yet, the Greek here is much tastier, it's slink into or sink into. Um, those... Uh, among them are those who enter or sink into households and captivate weak women. And it's at that point we are uncomfortable, aren't we? Today it's very hard to assert women's moral agency. That women sin as well as the, um, the white males of our culture, Right? Um, it's very hard to assert women's moral agency that they can and often do go wrong and sin against God and need rebuke to bring them back. Though there are many good results from movements like the Me Too movement, there are also negative consequences as well, right? One of which is, again, to diminish the moral agency of women, right? It is only men who sin and women don't sin, they're only victims of sin. We have a hard time coming to terms with the fact that women sin when our culture only and always seems to attribute sin to white heterosexual males. This result, I mean, th this reality may be the result of political correctness, um, but better yet, and better always, is an explanation from Scripture. Right? The strong always exploit and molest the weak. The strong always exploit and molest the weak. 
That seems like a stupidly obvious thing to say, right? We, we are wise to reflect on the fact that the serpent, all the way at the beginning in Genesis, came against Eve and not Adam, right? His initial, initial point of attack was Eve. And subsequently, it was Eve who was deceived, not Adam, right? The initial step of plunging mankind into sin, into ruin, into the fall, happened with Eve. She sinned first. And the serpent was no fool to go after, as Scripture says, the weaker vessel. The serpent was no fool, right? When, when damage can be done this way, why risk going after the stronger? Of course, his whole point was to get to the stronger, but he does so through the weaker now, again, because of feminism and just the, the climate of our times, you're, you're again uncomfortable. We've been schooled in a radically egalitarian system. Men and women are, in all respects, equal and interchangeable. Right? That is essentially what our culture teaches. And even where that becomes absurd... Right, that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man, that is just accepted, accepted dogma today. Right? And so so we've been schooled in that sort of culture, and it's radically egalitarian. Men and women are in all respects equal and even interchangeable. This ideal goes so deeply that the Cleveland Clinic is working on womb transplants. Right? Womb transplants. Um, though they say that it's only for women, we shouldn't trust them not to transplant a womb into a man, right? We think that the work of men and women, the bodies of men and women, the strengths and weaknesses of men and women, the longings of men and women are interchangeable, and now even the body parts of men and women are interchangeable. So when Scripture makes statements about differences... Between men and women, we feel it very deeply, right? It, it hits us hard because we're so used to, to trying to smooth over masculinity and femininity and male and female. It rings very dissonantly with our own culturally informed sensibilities. It causes us discomfort. It causes us anger, right? When Scripture says... You husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. You know you're uncomfortable. Don't lie to me. If I, you know, I read that verse publicly and I know we all squirm a little bit. Right? Um, I often, in reading that verse, I often in my head imagine somebody on, is listening along and taking a sip of coffee and blowing it out as, they, as I get to the woman as the weaker vessel. So, yeah. so um, it says that, that the woman is someone weaker since she is a woman. It ties weakness to womanhood. Okay, And even should we limit... Even if we came to that passage in Peter and limited it to physical strength, our culture fights against that. Read, read about standards in the military and the desperation our government has to allow women to enter into the elite forces of the U.S. military. But, 
But what if it means, so, so they disregard that. If we limit the passage and the application of it saying weaker vessel just to strength, our culture is just blowing that up. Who cares about strength? Who cares that men are, are, are bigger and stronger and have bigger lung capacity than women? Let's put women into the Navy SEALs and into the Rangers. But, but what if it means, when, Paul, when Peter writes here, what if it means more than physical strength? Well, that, that we would say would be ridiculous, right? Somehow she's weaker and it's not just referring to physical strength. Well, what is it? Emotionally? Is it mentally? Is it, is it uh, I mean, uh, it's getting awkward. Um, when we read a passage like this, Think of this passage, 1 Corinthians 11, 7 through 9. For a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. And again, it's just like, what in the world was the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit who inspired these words thinking. Right? It's so contrary that, that we wouldn't just say, no, the woman was made for man and the man was made for woman. No, Scripture says the woman was, was, was made for the man and the man was not made for the woman. There's order there's difference, there's not interchangeability, there's not equality. We think that this simply cannot be. God made the woman for the man's sake, but did not make the man for the woman's sake. And man, the other thing that's said here is man is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. That makes it clear that the difference is deeper than just physical strength. There's a difference between men and women in their direction, in their calling, in their glory, and that is, um, that is why God made two. That is why God made both male and female, not just male and not just female, right? Adam was the first and was stronger. Eve was second and was weaker. And so male descendants of Adam are stronger and female descendants of Eve are weaker by God's design. Then we read this from the Apostle Paul's first letter to Pastor Timothy. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls and costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. Right? The tires are squealing as the car goes off the road. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women 
and, and it gets even crazier, this last verse. But women will be preserved, preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Okay, now, so now we've, we've really laid out the differences here, haven't we? We've really laid out that there's order that God brings between male and female. We've laid out some of the responsibilities that men are to give themselves to, but, but women are not. We learn that there, that there is an order of creation. Adam was first, Eve was second, and that has application to every era of the church throughout all history. And we learn that man was created to exercise authority and teach, and a woman was made to, well, what does the passage say? Bear children. It says bear children. And conversely, that women were not created to exercise authority and teach, and men were, crea- were not created to bear children. Additionally, we learn that Eve was deceived and fell into sin, and Adam was not deceived. It was the woman who was deceived. Adam wasn't deceived. His sin was different, right? But his sin wasn't de- being deceived. His sin was knowing what was going on and not stopping it. Maybe a worse sin, you know, times ten. It was seeing what was going on, not being deceived about it, and not interceding. And notice early in that section that men are told not to be angry, and women are told to be modest, discreet, and quiet. You think those maybe apply to the particular differences between men and women? Men are told to not be angry. Women are told not to be vain. Makes a little sense. But, you know, should we dismiss these things? Um, as being only, only applicable to the church in Ephesus. Right? It's, it's only applicable to when Paul, who was a rabbi, was writing to Timothy in the first century in a specific culture, not our own. Shall we dismiss these things as being only helpful to that era? That Paul was writing to. Or should we recognize that because the apostle grounds all of this in creation order. From the start. Before the fall. That it teaches us. And teaches us especially today. That there are differences between men and women. Now why, why work through all of that? One, because I just... I'm. The more we pound Scripture's teaching on male and female into our heads, the more we will be able to put up a fight in a culture that's fighting against it, right? But why belabor all this? First, because it's it's that antidote to the disease of, of a feministic culture. We can't help but be feminists, and feminists hate God's bifurcation of the sexes into two. Right? They hate that there is order in the sexes, Adam first and then Eve. They hate that women are the weaker vessel and open, therefore, to vulnerability. And that is the point here in this section of Second Timothy. You know who didn't refuse to see the weakness of women and the strength of men. The serpent in the garden and these false teachers... Know the difference between men and women. 
They know it, and they are willing to exploit that difference. The serpent in the garden and those false teachers through the ages who have been led by Satan. False teachers know it is easier to captivate and mislead the hearts of women than it is to captivate and mislead the hearts of men. I was told when I was starting my pastoral work, go after the men and the women will follow. Well, Satan has a different method. He, he goes after the women and the men will capitulate. That's what happens. That's what happened in the garden. Right After the serpent argued with Eve about whether or not she should eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this is what we read. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. He wasn't deceived and he ate. Eve was deceived and she ate. The serpent hit Eve and Adam, who was with her, capitulated. The weaker vessel was made to bring life into the world. Adam was to cultivate and protect and keep that life. And at this moment, and certainly after sin entered the world, this would mean battling against anything that led to death. Right, Battling against anything that led to death. That was the calling of Jesus Christ, the second Adam, and that was the calling of the first Adam. And I would say it also was the calling and is the calling of every man descended from Adam. And every woman descended from Eve has her calling to nurture and produce life. And that is much, much more could be said about that. It is not merely procreation. It's cultivating, it's producing, it's nurturing, it's mothering beyond merely procreation. But don't leave out procreation. But again, my point is this. In battle, one seeks to exploit an enemy's weakness, right? You want to find the weakness and go there. That is why the serpent went after Eve, and that is why these false teachers seemingly always go after women, they are made for nurture, not for battle. And so are easily captivated. They're made for relationships, so easily drawn into illicit relationship. Right? And, and I know I, I'm making categorical statements about manhood and womanhood, which, is, which you can't do in today's culture. But Scripture does it. I'm just repeating Scripture. Now, add to this what our text goes on to say, and you can see why these false teachers went after the women in that church. Our text says, For among them, those false teachers, are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, up to this point, I've been arguing that there's structural difference between male and female, and that females are more by nature open to attack. Okay? Now we see what happens when that sex, which is more open to attack, gives itself over to sin and becomes even weaker. 
right, we see that these women are completely unprepared for battle, not merely because they are the weaker vessel, but because they added to their weakness sin. First, where our text says weak women, the Greek is a, is a bit different than that. It's one Greek word, gunaikarion, which means sort of silly women or little women, womenettes there. It could be little as in weak, or it could be little as an idol, or it could be little as in just naive, silly, right? Um, so these women are naive women, as Eve um, was somehow in the garden. Second, it says they are weighed down with sins. They are not repenting, but rather indulging themselves in particular sins. They're indulging in sins like gossip, like slander, like adultery, like anxiety, like theft. Those sins, the text says, are heavy upon them, heaped upon them. It's like, it's like they carry around a mound of these sins with them. Third, they are women who are led on by various impulses. The word there for impulses is epithumia. The same word Paul used earlier when he told Timothy to flee youthful lusts. Right, epithumia, that the strong desires. It means passionate longings. These women don't flee from lusts. They are led on by them. Right? They do they do not fight. They give in to lust. Lust for sex, yes, but but also passionate longings to be right, to be respected, to be appreciated, to be loved romantically, to have and to have more. And then finally. These women are always learning, and, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I've known both men and women that are like this. Always learning, never, never uh, settling on anything. They read everything, but they have no discernment, right? So they take it all in, and every new thing they read becomes some additional perspective in their life and worldview, right? So it's just like... Constant input, no discernment, and it just becomes this mishmash of unrelated, unrelated facts. You know, um, they, they become like the internet is, right? Which is, you can't trust anything you read on the internet because you don't know any of the sources, right? Do not self-diagnose on the internet. Um, how many men, um, you know, I, I, think, I think men in general tend to be more dogmatic in what they believe. Men are more black and white. I like my coffee black. You know, I will not drink it with hazelnut creamer, right? I, how many men have you heard reduce their life philosophy down to one sentence, Right, you know, my dad told me always check your tire pressure before you go on a trip. And that's like the philosophy of their whole life. Right? Got to check our tire pressure and it's a metaphor for, you know, be prepared. But that's what and that's like that's what he believes. That's what he practices and it's wonderful in its simplicity. It may be hard to apply in a few areas. Whereas women tend to be more of an accumulation of memories of hurts, of happinesses, of, and, and certainly more in tune to the, the latest moment. 
right? Women read horoscopes. Men don't. Is that true? That's true. It's true. It is true. Don't shake your heads, women. <laughs> women, women read advice columns. Men don't. They just don't. They're written by women, and men don't pay attention. Women depend more upon relationship in general than men do, and those relationships often get them into trouble. Now, don't be that kind of woman, women. <laughs> don't be that kind of woman, right? False teachers will sink their teeth into you. They will sink their teeth into you if you're a woman, as I've just described. Husbands, do not let your wife, do not let your daughters be that kind of woman that I've described, right? Well, how to do that? Make sure their conscience is held captive by the word of God. That's the one simple rule. Make sure their conscience is held captive, not by a thousand contradictory things, but by one thing, the word of God. That's it. Not the latest morsels from Mr. False Teacher, especially if Mr. False or Mrs. False Teacher is, is handsome, eloquent, and way more tender than you as a husband. Do not let your wife and your daughters be seduced by Thule Chavidjan, a false teacher. But he's pretty, and he peddles in false assurance, and he heals wounds superficially, but he's tender. False teachers know how to gain a foothold in a church. Go for the troubled women in the church. Go for the women who are particularly vulnerable, the sick women, the lonely women, the promiscuous women, the impressionable women. They will follow the false teacher because he undoubtedly will affirm them in their sin, but also in their deep desire for relationship. He'll just affirm them in relationship, right? And once the women go, if they are married, they will lead their abdicating husbands to the same source. Right? False teachers know this. False teachers know this, and somehow the church doesn't know this. False teachers know this. False teachers exploit this just as the serpent exploited Eve in the garden. False teachers may be wicked, but they certainly are not stupid. They recognize what most reformed men refuse to recognize. Women are particularly vulnerable to false teachers. And sinful women are seemingly impossible to keep from false teachers. So fathers, husbands, keep this in mind. Keep this in mind. Do not put your wife out on the front lines in front of you. Don't do that. Remember that she is the weaker vessel because she is the woman. And get out in front of her. Get out in front of her by strengthening your relationship with her. By learning orthodox doctrine. By engaging in battle against those who would attempt to entrap her. Right? Whether they come to her you know, via the podcast, the television, or the church pulpit. Right? Get out in front of her by making sure that she has not just a teachable spirit, but one that settles on the truth. Right? Not just teachable, but one that settles and becomes firmly convicted about 
what God's word said. If you are not fighting for these things in your daughter's life, you are putting her on a course to be just the kind of woman who is described here in this passage. Silly, sinful, impetuous, and curious, but never stable. Doesn't that describe many godless women today? Silly, sinful, impetuous, and curious, but never stable. Perhaps that's even a generalization of the women of our nation. Daughters, be rather like this. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle spirit, a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. I talk about this, and all the women should be frightened by every fear because your culture has taught you the opposite. And it's in your blood. It's in your bones. It is the way you think. It's the way you despise your husband. And yet here's, a, here's Sarah calling Abraham Lord and not being frightened by any fear. Now the Apostle Paul gives an example of what these false teachers are like. They are like Janus and Jambres. Man, it feels like those should be pronounced in Spanish or something. Janus and I don't know. Um, these were men... These names don't appear in the Old Testament, first of all. This is the only place in Scripture where they appear. But they apparently are men who opposed Moses. Um, Nowhere do these names come up up in the Old Testament, but in Jewish writings that are not inspired, we learn that these were names of sorcerers who opposed Moses before Pharaoh. You remember when Moses went before Pharaoh, and there were magicians who would sometimes do what Moses did, and, and sometimes fail. For example, we read this in, uh, in Exodus. Then Pharaoh also called for the wise men and the sorcerers. And they also, the magicians of Egypt, did the same with their secret arts. For each one threw down his staff and they turned into serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart was heartened and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. The Jewish Targum calls a few of these sorcerers by name, Janus and Jambres. Apparently also the names were widely known in pagan's writings, uh, Pliny's Natural History, for example. So George Knight in his commentary says this, Paul's reference to them would have presented no problem for the church at Ephesus, especially not for the false teachers with their interest in genealogies. He goes on to say, even though the names do not occur in the Old Testament text, there is no reason to doubt the reliability of the Jewish Tradition. So, the Apostle Paul is drawing an analogy between the wicked false teachers in Ephesus 
and the Egyptian magicians who opposed Moses. As you remember, the magicians could conjure up a few of the miracles performed through Moses. They made staffs turn into serpents. They, um, they turned the waters of the Nile to blood. They made frogs. But when Moses brought on the gnats, the gnats, seems like the gnats would have been easy. But it's the gnats they couldn't do. You remember how they respond when, when the gnats come on and they try to do it? And they say, no, we can't do it. This is the finger of God, they say. This is the finger of God. False teachers can imitate the work of the Spirit only up to a certain extent. They, they can imitate zeal in preaching, things like that. But their power ends when it comes to the lasting conversion of souls. Right Now the Apostle Paul goes on to say that these men, the false teachers... Oppose the truth, have depraved minds, are rejected in regard to the faith. They will not make progress, and their folly will become evident to everybody. There will come a time when, when they, will, they will have to make gnats, and they won't be able to do so. Right? There will come a time when the lack of power in the work of false teachers will become evident. Their power will be shown to be the work of man, smoke, uh, smoke machines and, and light shows. And making arrangements with somebody who fakes being a paraplegic before the assembly. What will be the clearest evidence of its powerlessness? The sin of those who follow them will only grow. That will be the the, the clearest evidence. The sin of those who follow them will only grow. There will be no purity. There will be no power. There will be no change. The weak women who followed him will will want him to make gnats, except it it won't be gnats. It, It will be to make them less lonely, to make them less sinful, to make them less impetuous, to make them more grounded. But the miracle won't happen. Because the Holy Spirit will not be active through anything but his word, right? False teachers preach themselves and their own desires, so their teaching will only produce their own desires in others rather than the word of God. Ladies, women, girls, daughters, sisters, you need the word of God and you need the word of God alone. There are so many false teachers out there vying for your attention. And they're doing it today primarily at the point, exactly at the point of what it means to be a woman. They're trying to convince you that scripture says nothing about femininity. Right? Trust the word of God. Trust the word of God. Trust what it says. Lean not on your own understanding. Right? In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. He will direct your path. Don't follow after the crooked paths of false teachers. But remember, you're susceptible to it. You are susceptible to it. We all are. But women particularly. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would give us zeal to walk in holiness and godliness. Pray that we would have discernment, Father, to recognize false teachers and to to test their words by your inerrant word.
And Father, I pray for wives, our wives and, and sisters and, and daughters. Lord, pray that you would give them discernment. Pray that they would have, have heads over them that would train them up to be wise and discerning, to be godly. Father, that, that their weakness, their weakness would be a blessing rather than a curse. Father, we thank you for, for providing all that we need for, for godliness. I pray that we would always be increasing in it and that we would make ourselves fruitful for your kingdom. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.